Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. I am thrilled to introduce you to our sponsor, Windshape Marriage. Their weekend retreats will strengthen your marriage and you will enjoy this gorgeous setting, delicious food, and quality time with your spouse. To find out more, visit them online at windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. Today's episode includes some thematic material. I want you to be aware before you listen in the presence of little ears. Jeff and Jennifer Christie are believers who have experienced love and light in the wake of tragedy and crisis. Their story is not easy to hear, but it is important to be shared. If you're a sexual assault survivor, or if you're triggered through messages on this topic, I want you to be aware we're going to be discussing details of a horrific experience that took place in 2014. And then we're going to hear how God bestows on his people a crown of beauty instead of ashes and takes what the enemy intended for evil and uses it to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jeff and Jennifer. Thank you so much. We're really glad to be here. Well, I'm honored to host both of you. And can you two just take us back and tell us how did you originally meet? That is taking us back. Do you want to? Well, we met in youth group in San Diego with our our church youth retreat. Can you understand him? He mumbles so much. I was 15 and she was 14. Yep. Summer before before freshman year of high school. I was 14. He was 15. And we were on a on a church retreat and um, we introduced ourselves and he started our entire relationship with a lie. I, it was um, not yes, my yes. idea. But despite that, we have overcome. And uh, he introduced himself as Jefe and told me it meant Jeff in Spanish, which by the way, it does not. It means boss. So I was calling him Jefe for years <laughs> until I found out uh, in junior year, uh, Spanish two or whatever, that it meant boss. And I'd been calling my dear friend here boss. And by that point, it is so ingrained. And I still call him Jefe. And I've been calling him Jefe for 30 years. The other kids in the no, church called me that. No, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You tell this little gringa from New Jersey that it means Jeff in Spanish. So that's what I call him. My mom was calling him that, so this was the entire foundation for our relationship. Starts a little shaky, but we uh, very quickly become best friends and uh, stay that way throughout high school. And we start uh, dating to everyone's shock in our first year of college. And seven months uh, after we start dating, we get engaged and then another seven months later get married. And uh, we were still teenagers. He had just turned 20. He figures that's a huge distinction. Um, I was not a teenager when I got married. She yes. was. Yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> You're man of man of worldly wisdom. And uh, we've been married 26 years. Wow. Well, first of all, I just love hearing your sense of humor come out as you share. <laughs> <laughs> For both of you, what did marriage and family and your spiritual life all look like early on? How early you want to go? Because there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> there's a lot when you marry as a child, pretty much, because now we, you know, we've had children that age, and we have children that age. And, and looking at them now, it's a, it's a kind of terrifying that you're even allowed to get married and make those <laughs> decisions at that age. But we were, you know, we felt like we, we had it all together. And we knew and, you know, don't, don't question our love, mom and dad, and um, that sort of thing. Because <laughs> we have a, a young, we have an 18 year old going to turn 19 now. And he and his beloved are talking about getting married and, you know, how do we feel about it and things like that. And we're like, huh, we really don't have much to say because <laughs> we know how well you'll listen is about how well we listened. But when you marry that young, you know, you, you go through a lot of, a lot of changes. So things were tumultuous and then fine. And then kind of leveled out to sort of a very, boring suburban kind of life I think 
well, average, I guess, <laughs> if that if if that if that's even a thing. You know, we had four kids together. We'd been through a lot of ups and downs, but we had been married at the time that this this life changing event that we're going to talk about. At the time that happened, we had been married 19 years. We had um, four kids, and we were you know living in quiet suburbia. Our faith had gone from a time when we were young and we were very much on fire and and out there and you know, doing, I don't know, crazy things for God and watching him really work. I think we had settled into a place of, I don't know, just sort of rote, just kind of living, you know, we had our beliefs and we were, we were going to church and we were doing that, but we weren't, we weren't living abundantly, I guess, you know, and, um, we had just sort of become settled that makes it sound very depressing. It is a little depressing when you think. I mean, I I think that I think that life would have. I don't know. It, I don't think we were headed in a great direction. I think things would have. I don't know. Well, and Jennifer, you're alluding to this, but there's something you write on your website that struck me. You said, "Some stories make us uncomfortable." At its beginning, mine is one of those stories. I will tell it nonetheless. I will tell it because it needs to be heard. I will tell it because there is light after darkness. So will you share your story with us now? Absolutely. So uh, I do when I when I speak, I said I, I'm kind of made a living out of making people uncomfortable. People on all ends of the, it's not a political issue really, but on all ends of the spectrum because we we talk about, we talk about rape and we talk about abortion, and we talk about where is God in all of this, because he is in all of this. And uh, it's kind of a hard, it is a hard thing to to find. And But there is a, there is joy and, and healing and restoration. And, and so what we ultimately tell is, um, is a love story. And in 2014, I was traveling for work and, and this was something else too. Uh, our work schedules were, were such that I was taking on more and more travel. Our kids were getting older and uh, they, you know, they were all off in different directions and Jeff was working full time. I was working full time and everyone was just, everyone was scattered. You know, we weren't like this. I don't know. It was just, I think like a lot of families, we didn't have a lot of, time together you know we were in the car all the time that was our main time driving from place to place and practice to lessons and whatever and uh things had changed from the time when they were little and i had taken another two-week-long assignment out of town and i was staying in a hotel several hours away from home and at the end of this assignment it was the last day and it was it snowed at this in this town that never never saw snow and so it was kind of an event and this job that I was doing um let out early and it was a job training so the the job went through the night and then was done in the morning and so kind of uh zombied and exhausted was how I finished and so I drove back to this hotel motel place in the middle of nowhere and kind of an exhausted stupor and just sort of glad the whole thing was done. It wasn't a hard job, but it was just, it was a lot of hours and I was tired and the entire town looked empty and the parking lot of this place was empty and, and really beautiful because of the snow, really peaceful and all of that. And I remember noticing how, how beautiful and peaceful everything looked and there was nothing, no internal warning flash or anything that made me think that this was going to be the day that changed the world. I um, made my way up to the hotel room and got the door open. And when I turned around to close the door, there was someone in my doorway. And I startled at the sight of this very, very tall young man, but I didn't feel scared uh, immediately. And I think part of that is we're so conditioned now to think that the the villain and the bad person looks looks bad and looks scary. You know, we we watch all these movies and Hollywood puts out a very specific image of what bad and wrong and evil and what that's supposed to look like and and he didn't look like any of that. He looked like a a college-age kid who maybe got the wrong room or 
you know, had his car break down in the snow or something like that. And I was trying to formulate something to ask him, like, do you need help or something? And I only had a moment and he punched me in the head. And we talk a lot about in moments of panic and moments of crisis, you have that fight or flight kind of instinct and that didn't kick in for me immediately, but I, uh, I did experience freeze. And when I talked to a lot of other survivors, freezes is, is very common. And there's that freezing in times when you really need to not freeze, but you do because this is so surreal you have a moment of this can't possibly be happening. What I think is going to happen can't possibly be happening to me. You know, this is this is movies and this is what you see on the news and this is not happening in real life. And and then I, I, I did fight through my ribs breaking and my fingers breaking and uh, tried very hard to, at that point, to disconnect from my body. And I remember kind of trying to crawl someplace inside myself and say over and over, like, whatever's happening to my body, he can't touch my soul. He, he can't touch my soul. And I lost consciousness. And however long later, I don't know. My next memory is waking up and feeling this huge, like, wash of freezing cold and hearing screaming. And I open my eyes and I'm at the back of the hotel where there's a stairwell that leads to the dumpsters and it's like partially covered and I'm, I'm, I'm in snow and I'm wearing only a scrap of clothing and there's this woman leaning over me and she's crying and crooning at me in Spanish and she's covering me with her coat. In the hospital later that day, I was treated for the broken bones and a brain bleed that resolved without surgery, but left me with a seizure disorder. And there was internal damage, which they didn't know the scope of at the time. Um, but I, a couple of weeks ago had my 11th surgery related to this just to have things <laughs> fixed and functioning from what one man was able to destroy in such a short amount of time. And, uh, and that was, one day, one afternoon, one blink in this, in you know, in the breath of eternity, but it absolutely tore apart my life and my world and put Jeff and I on this, uh, this whole new trajectory that we couldn't see at the time. It was just pain and anger and confusion and all these heavy emotions that we didn't know what to do with or, or where to put. And we didn't talk to anyone about what happened. I, I wouldn't let him. I couldn't talk to I didn't want to say the word rape. I didn't want to see anyone the way I looked in that condition. I told the kids that I was in a car accident and we weren't talking about it. No one was talking about it. And I kind of hid in the house. And it was just a really, really, really painful, dark time. But from a spiritual aspect, you know, Jeff and I had been Christians for a long time and we, we had this foundation and we knew where our help came from, but this was not something that we knew how to handle. And uh, just recently when we were talking, I wrote a book and we were talking about this and looking back, I said, I, I remember very specifically us talking about how we're going to pray for each other, but we didn't like we didn't pray together it was you know I'm I'm praying for you and I'm praying for you but we never we didn't have the words like we didn't know what to say or or how to begin and and Jeff was trying to do what he thought I needed to be what he thought I needed and to to smile and be at beat and you know tell me we're we're going to be okay we're going to get through this and and then I'd hear him, you know, when he thought I was asleep in the shower, like sobbing and retching and punching the walls. And he'd come back out to me and, you know, touch my face with these bloodied knuckles and be like, it's going to be okay. And God's going to get us through this. And I just remember being mad and just thinking, you 
liar. Like this, this isn't okay. And we're not okay. And we're not going to get like, I, how are we supposed to survive this? And it just, we didn't, we didn't know like the, the air was heavier and breathing was hard. And we didn't, we didn't know how to be from that point. Everything, everything, everything changed. And nothing can prepare you for what you said, this moment where your entire world changes for both of you and beyond the two of you. So Jeff, at this point, could you also share what was your initial response internally when she came home? Or was it you met her at the hospital for the first time to hear about what happened to her? Yeah, I, uh, like she said, we, I didn't handle it well, knowing what was going on. Um, I was there for her as much as I knew how to be. But internally, I didn't have any answers here. We had been married 19 years and been through a lot already. But everything that we had been through, we had gone through together and we had come out together. This was something that I think it was like you said, nobody, we didn't have any experience with this. and No one knows how to handle themselves when something like this comes up. And uh, I didn't have the answers that I thought I would have when I needed to have them for her. And yet I love that you were offering all that you could to encourage and that you two were still, it sounds like, as best you could after this trauma, leaning into each other in the best way you knew how and leaning into God. But then, Jennifer, just to clarify, could you explain what type of work you were doing yeah, I'm a sign language interpreter. And so um, as a freelance sign language interpreter, any possible scenario, any possible job you can think of, we're needed. That's hospitals and that's schools and that's courtrooms and that's jails and that's, you know, kindergarten classrooms and that's job training and that's, you know, births and deaths and all, weddings and funerals, everything, anything you can think of, you know, that we're, we kind of put into that space. Yeah. So that's what I was doing. And it was a, it was a job training and, uh, it's usually, it's sometimes exciting. It's usually pretty, pretty routine. It's not, you know, that thrilling, but, um, yeah, so I'm an, I'm an interpreter and that's what I was doing. And, um, and that actually leads us into, uh, the next part of the story, <laughs> the happier part. I was scheduled to interpret and I, I had only done a few of these in my life, but this was a relatively new thing for me, interpreting cruises. And I had taken a few in the past, and this was the longest one I, I had ever accepted. It was a 10-day cruise, and it was scheduled for about six weeks after the attack. And they book these with interpreters months and months beforehand. It's not – it's a specialized thing. It's not easy to get a replacement interpreter. And this particular um, excursion had a large group of deaf people and, and four of us, four interpreters who were scheduled to be with like different groups at different times. And it was very structured and, Oh yeah. And I was requested by name. This is not something that I could have been like, Hey, by the way, like I'm not going to come like a week beforehand or something. And, but I couldn't bring myself to tell this agency. Totally I couldn't weird. articulate at all to anyone what had happened. And I certainly couldn't bring myself to tell this agency that I, I couldn't make this job. And I, I really, I was in such a weird, weird state. And I don't know if it's partially the head injury and the trauma and all of that, but time just was not a real construct for me and I didn't see it moving forward. And so I, I didn't really give much thought to, there was this time coming up when I was going to have to be gone and leave the house again and all of that. And, uh, but we, we came to that time and I was healed to look at, I was fairly healed, um, you wouldn't look at me and be like, oh, it looks like she's really been beaten up. You know, I looked okay, internally, physically felt okay. And Jeff was like, maybe you should go, you know, like he has taken enough from us. We have to figure out a way to, to keep living. You know, you're, you're in your head here. You, you're not leaving the house. You're not eating or sleeping. You love what you do. You were looking forward to this. This is an opportunity to be around other people, you'll, you know, you'll be busy, you'll be, you won't be here. It's, you should go. If you can do it, you should go. And uh, that made sense to me because you do, you have to figure out a way to keep living or, or evil wins. And that sounds very trite, but that's, it made sense in my head. And so I, I went and 
I got very, very sick the second day of this 10 day, you know, planned, planned cruise. And so it really wouldn't have mattered, but I, I got very, very sick and I was quarantined on the medical unit. And after I think they give their antibiotics like 24 hours and nothing was happening. I wasn't getting any better. And so they, this little doctor comes in to talk to me and she's like, we don't know why you're not getting better. And I was like, me neither. And she's like, we need to give you something stronger. We're going to give you a, a cocktail, an IV of something a little more potent to try to, you know, knock this out. They figured it was dysentery, which they saw things like that on the ship all the time. And they were like, is there any chance before we do this, is there any chance you could be pregnant? And my immediate reaction was just no, no. I, you know, we've had four kids and I don't, I get pregnant uh, very quickly. Maintaining and, and carrying pregnancies have been very difficult for me. You know, the fourth one was not great. Jeff took one for the team, got snipped after that. That's done. Pregnancy had not been a thought, an issue, anything for eight years. So I was just, no, no, I don't. That's not, that's not part of my world. <laughs> but as soon as those words of just, no, my husband's been, and time kind of stopped. And I had this like weird feeling of everything sort of going into slow motion. And I heard myself say, I was raped last month. You might want to give me a test. And, uh, it was the first time I used the word raped. I had said attacked and assaulted, but saying rape is a, I mean, I, I know survivors who will still not use that word and it's been decades for them. It's just something very final and definitive about it. It's just heavy and dark and an ugly, ugly word. And she kind of was stunned and just sort of shook herself and to her credit, just was like, okay, let's, let's give you a test and, you know, kind of got herself back together and, um, the test was positive and she seemed more stunned by this than I was. And so we, we took another test, which is also positive because that's the way those work. I'm now holding two positive pregnancy tests in my hand. And I remember just kind of crumbling and rocking back and forth and saying, what am I going to do? And I didn't even think about having a child or any of that. I just remember thinking, how am I going to explain this to people? Like, what am I going to say? Like everyone knew at the time that Jeff couldn't have children anymore. Like, I, what do I say? Like now I have to tell people and I didn't want to ever, ever talk about it. And, uh, the doctor was like, look, don't, I was like, I have to call my husband. And she's like, don't, don't do that yet. You know, something could be wrong. You know, you've been really sick. Uh, we're, we need to do an ultrasound and we're going to stop in Cartagena, Colombia tomorrow. And we're going to find a doctor and you're going to get an ultrasound. Great. And so that's how less than 24 hours later, I was, you know, in a gown on a little gurney again, um, looking at an ultrasound machine, which I was pretty sure I was done with, you know, my baby making career and that stage of my life was, was done. I was almost 40 and I'd had kids and I'm in this foreign country and surrounded by people I don't know and a language I don't speak and everything about life is completely unrecognizable. And it would have been comical if it wasn't just so unimaginable. And so they turn on this ultrasound screen and you know, it's, it's all fuzzy and wavy for a second. And then it kind of solidifies into this image that I recognize very well, as small as it is, you know, I, I know what I'm looking at because I've had children and I've, I have a translator with me and, and he starts to talk. And I remember kind of putting up my hand. I, I don't want to hear him because I'm waiting to feel what I kind of suspected I would feel. I think it's hard to be a pro-life woman and not run the scenario in your head. What if I was raped? What would I do? And I don't know, maybe that's just the way my mind works, but I'd always, since taking a pro-life stance from the time I was, you know, became a Christian at 14, you know, that's always the, um, the scenario that people struggle with, you know? And so as a woman, I remember thinking that from the time of, you know, being a young teenager, 
what would I do? Would I be able to do that? And, and so like, like most women who I talk to, I expected to feel a certain way. And so I'm, I'm gripping the table and I'm waiting for the feelings of rage and disgust and horror and all of those things. But I'm looking at this screen and I'm smiling for the first time since the attack, I'm smiling and I'm feeling joy and hope because that, that baby, my baby on that screen is, is light and, and a new beginning. And there was a very definitive thought of, I couldn't protect myself. I fought and I tried, but I couldn't, but that, that baby on that screen, that baby I can protect. And that moment, that was a game changer that turned everything around for me. Wow. That was such a powerful moment. And Jeff, I'm wondering now this time when you received the phone call again, <laughs> what was your internal and external reaction? I can give you his external from mine and then I'm going <laughs> to, and then I'm going to hand you off to him. I call him from the ship and he, he picks up immediately. He obviously recognizes it's not a, I don't know, it's an international phone, whatever. It's a weird phone number. And he, we had been emailing back and forth. So he knew I was sick, but I, you know, he picks up the phone and I, I opened with, are you sitting down? Which is <laughs> pretty surefire uh, clue that something is up. And I just, you know, no preamble, just I'm pregnant. And there's no question in either of I mean, we, we know, okay, it's been eight years. I get pregnant super easily. If his vasectomy had reversed, if there was something, I would have been pregnant a bazillion times by now. We know timing, everything else. We know how it happened. And, uh, I'm pregnant and there's just a second of silence. And he says, uh, okay. And I said, no. Okay. Okay. is not, it's not a full, re I need more. I need a response from you. Okay. Okay. Is not it. And he just said, sweetheart, this baby, this baby is a gift. This is something beautiful from something so painful and terrible. We love babies. And I said, yeah, we love babies. And he said, we can do this. You and me, this will be awesome. We can do this. And I said, okay. And the, the, we can do this is asleep in our bed, I think, and <laughs> four feet from us right now. Um, so, uh, go ahead, babe. Yeah. Um, I wasn't shocked. Just the fact that she was calling from the ship meant there was something up. I had no idea what it was that she was going to say, but the moment that she said that she was pregnant, I kind of feel like my feet found the floor again. Like she had mentioned earlier, we were not doing well. I did not know how to be there for her for being assaulted. But we know how to raise kids. We know about babies and we know about her being pregnant. So I was back to someplace where I knew I could help her. Wow. The instantaneous wisdom that God gave you is just miraculous. I think you articulate that so well. And at this point, for both of you, were you seeking counseling or did you start letting any others in with your story? Not at first. And that's, that's a real, that's something we really encourage people who, who come to us. You need help. You really, this is something that. That's you, something that we were able to see looking back on it. Yeah. Looking that back. Beforehand that we were trying to keep it to ourselves and not looking for help from our friends and our family and our church really if we felt it. Yeah, it was it was a really poor decision. And and even the way that well like Jeff said, we this the baby put our put our feet on solid ground. We were like, okay, this is familiar. We can do this. And and Joshua is his name. Joshua gave us something tangible and, and real to look forward to. And things did not get particularly better for us for quite a while. Um, you know, my, my seizures started and we attributed that to pregnancy for a while. I was put on bed rest very early on in the pregnancy and I was the primary breadwinner. We lost our house. All of us, the whole lot of us, there were six of us at the time moved in with Jeff's parents. 
that was a that was a tight fit. We didn't know the man who attacked us. We didn't know where he was, who he was, why, if he had seen me somewhere as an interpreter. Sometimes I'm on jumbotrons at concerts and things. If he had seen me somewhere and targeted me, I was left for dead. Did he know I was still alive? Was he going to come back? Like there were so many unknowns. We left the state, you know, when we could. Jeff left his job, cashed out his 401k. We were living hand to mouth. Like it was just there was so much, and we were just kind of treading water just trying to get through not sure of what the next day was going to bring but we had at the end of all this a new life and a baby and a new start and we kind of we kind of hung on to that we we needed that babies were always a joy so it wasn't until really a couple years after I had begun speaking and sharing and traveling after our story had gone viral several times over after we had really been out there that I realized that I wasn't okay and I really needed help and then it was really hard to do because then it was I was surrounded sort of with people who had a stake in me not stopping and not admitting that I was not okay because that didn't look good what I was being told, it didn't look good for the pearl that people are going to think it's because you had a child from rape. People are going to think whatever. And, um, and I ended up having a serious breakdown and looking back, we can see how it came to be and how barely processing this trauma, Joshua was a newborn and our story went viral. And I mean, I was barely, barely out of this horrific attack and I'm standing in front of thousands of people and talking about, talking about it and I didn't know how to share back then without reliving it over and over. So I'm, I'm in Ireland and I'm in Malta and I'm in, you know, all these places and I'm, you know, Glenn Beck is sharing my testimony and Ben Shapiro and everyone's talking about this and I'm talking to crowds and then going back to hotel rooms and barricading the doors and curling up into balls and sobbing and having flashbacks. And it just wasn't, it wasn't normal and it wasn't okay. And I, didn't know how to pull myself out of that. So it it took a while and it, it took backing away completely and then kind of recalibrating and and, and God showing us, okay, we're we're gonna kind of we're gonna go in a different direction. It was hard, but uh getting help early on is so, so important because the brain when traumatized kind of rewires and uh, you need you need help. You can't do it alone, especially when something is is so traumatic and there's you know there's physical impairment involved and it's just uh it's too much. And it just takes me back just a few minutes before we recorded. We prayed that the comfort that God has provided that you would then be in turn able to use that overflowing comfort to offer comfort to others. And I just want to acknowledge it's not to any shame or condemnation for you for not seeking out help at first. You you had never been trained in this before or planned for this as none of us have. And yet I love the encouragement that you're providing someone right now if they've been through anything similar. You have years of wisdom now with which to offer. So was there a turning point in getting healthier? Yeah, there was a suicide attempt and a couple of weeks in a coma and on a ventilator and waking up, having to learn to write again and, and walk again, not being able to move on my own, not being able to eat without a tube and having all these people who had hailed me as a hero and your story is so needed, those people kind of fell away because I was broken and I was unusable and I was just Jennifer and I wasn't Jennifer Christie, pro-life speaker, heroic mother from rape, all of that, all of those titles, all of those labels were, were, were gone. They all kind of fell away and it was just, this broken woman who had been brutalized and tortured and, and raped and never got help and and was now here in the hospital and now what? And that and that's kind of where we were, now what? And there were a lot of rumors and things going on. I people who approached me, I would you know, Jeff and I were very honest about what happened, but there was still people who were like, You can't talk about this. 
you can't tell people this will be damaging to the pro-life movement. Everyone's going to say it's because you had child, all that. Everyone's going to say it's because you were raped, because you had a child, all of that. And that's a lie. I, I went public with this on my Facebook page uh, a year ago almost. And it opened up the floodgates for, I don't know, hundreds of people to start writing me and and telling me their own stories of brokenness and their shame behind their suicidal ideations or losing someone from suicide or their attempts at suicide. And especially this last year, everyone being so isolated and the whole world kind of shutting down and um, depression rates skyrocketing and all of that. There's such a push, not, not just in the pro-life community and the Christian community as well to be okay. And to always say that you're okay and nothing is wrong and no one is hurting and no one is broken, you know, because we have Jesus and so everything is okay. But that's not, that's not realistic. There is still, there is still pain and we don't always process it well. And, you know, I'm not happy that I overdosed. I'm not happy that I did that to my family, but I, I can't be, I can't be ashamed of it either. This is what, this is what happened. This is kind of what needed to happen to to save my life and to bring me to a point of okay yeah god now now what do i do and jeff and i you know we pulled away from the pro-life community completely for a while and we're like we're done and then god was like no you're not and uh so what we did is we we founded an organization because i i couldn't find anywhere in the pro-life movement at that time i had nowhere to go when I wasn't okay, when I was good and everyone wanted me and everyone knew who I was and they wanted a, you know, they, they wanted a hero and someone to prop up and be like, look, you can do this too. Like if that's who you are and that's, you know, you, there's all kinds of places for you, but if you're not okay and you don't, you just need to talk and you need somewhere where you can be seen and heard and loved and be all right in your brokenness as you're healing, there was nowhere like that. And I needed that. And I figured I probably wasn't the only one. So we made that and we created Love Louder and it's been almost a year now. And we have been able to talk um, women and, and their husbands through a lot of, you know, horrific, painful situations because we didn't have anyone to talk to. We didn't know anyone who'd gone through this. And um, and it's not that we it's not that we have any answers, but we we know who does <laughs> can point them to Jesus and we can love them and we can say, you know, you, you need help. We're here and we, we understand and we'll, you know, we'll be here with you. We'll walk through this with you. And when we can't be here, you know, God will be here and you can survive this. And even if that's all we have to offer them, sometimes people just want to be heard and women who've held this in for years and years and years because they're scared to to say it out loud they're scared they won't be believed they're scared of you know all these different with good reason they just want a place to be heard and um so we can we can provide that and and we've done that and that's been incredibly incredibly healing for people to come to me and say I was suicidal and you got me through it and um and of course I didn't it was you know what god did in this amazing time of of my own pain but that's really, for me, been an amazing, humbling privilege to be able to walk alongside other people in their place of, you know, in their valley when, you know, I'm kind of doing that for the, the woman that I was before I collapsed. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. I'm so excited to share today's sponsor, Windshape Marriage, with you. Windshape Marriage is a fantastic ministry that helps couples prepare, strengthen, and if needed, even save their marriage. Windshape Marriage is grounded on the belief that the strongest marriages are the ones that are nurtured, even if it seems like things are going smoothly. That way, they'll be stronger if they do hit a bump along their marital journey. Through their weekend retreats, Windshape Marriage invites couples to enjoy time away to simply focus on each other. These weekend retreats are hosted within the beautiful refuge of Windshape Retreat, perched in the mountains of Rome, Georgia, which is just a short drive from Atlanta, Birmingham, and Chattanooga. While you and your spouse are there, you'll be well-fed, well-nurtured, and well-cared for. 
During your time away in this beautiful place, you and your spouse will learn from expert speakers and explore topics related to intimacy, overcoming challenges, improving communication, and so much more. I've stayed on site at Windshape before, and I can attest to their generosity, food, and content. You will be so grateful you went. To find an experience that's right for you and your spouse, head to their website, windshapemarriage.org. That's W-I-N-S-H-A-P-E marriage.org. Thanks for your sponsorship. I want to dive deeper into a few of those lessons, but first to come full circle with something you had said earlier with your story. You had so many unanswered questions. Have any of those been closed up? Yes. To my satisfaction, at least to a degree, the the man who attacked me, we didn't know for a couple of years. And then the FBI got in touch with us because there was a DNA match on a body of a woman found. I don't want to cross into telling someone else's story, but there were there were other victims who were killed, raped and murdered. And um, in the end, he was um, he was killed by the brother of one of his earlier victims and uh, they were both Native American, and this that murder happened on a reservation. And so when I got that call and I asked, could I testify for, <laughs> for that man as to the brutality of the attack and what, you know, and things like that, uh, they were like, this is not – this is not something that we handle anymore. First of all, my case was closed, so I couldn't be involved. But the FBI no longer had jurisdiction because this was in the hands of tribal council, tribal police, whatever. Um, this was, which is their own, a whole other, whole other set of laws, a whole other set of rules, something very, very different. We've learned a lot about that in the last couple of years, and so, so the man who attacked me is is gone, and he can't hurt anyone else. And I don't know much about his story i don't know much about the ending to what happened to the man who killed him all of that if joshua wants to know one day because he has native american blood he he can find out i don't know how i feel about that because i don't it that is so brutal but either way i'm okay not knowing that i'm okay with this is where we are now and we have our family and we've moved forward and uh that was a very difficult piece at the, at the time to get through. I try not to dwell there, you know, and thinking that if I could have done something other women would, I don't know. I It's, mm. it's very hard to be a survivor and knowing that to our knowledge, I'm the only, I'm the only one who survived him. That's a whole other, that's a whole other therapy, but we did, you know, we did move and, and start this new life and, the biggest thing was safety and the and the unknown and all of that and that part was settled i think knowing that he was gone and there was never that possibility i would have to go and testify or or see him in court or relive that in front of people and all of that and and have joshua hear all those details from someone else and that part that was the biggest thing i you know i would have nightmares about that and that door being closed was i think we all kind of collectively exhaled you know, just like, okay, that's, that's not going to happen. And, and now we can really kind of carry on and as a family, and that's not going to be an issue. And that was big. I remember my mom just sobbing when, cause she was so, she's like, you don't know how frightened I've been for you guys, even though you moved out to the middle of nowhere and you're hiding or whatever. It's just, um, it was scary. So. Absolutely. And with you now having five children, and two grandchildren. <laughs> and two grandchildren. Oh, my word. <laughs> How and when were you able to share your story with them? So our oldest and only daughter was 17. And she she needed to know immediately. She remembered her dad having the vasectomy. She knew about that. She had to be told. Like from the cruise, she had to be told. And so I, I took her on a drive and I told her everything. And she's less interesting. She's she's less emotional, less less effusive, less affectionate than her brothers. Um, she's kind of guarded. And I remember being the most concerned about 
about how she might react. And she's just kind of listening to, especially as a teenager, yikes. Um, we have a much better relationship now, but as a teenager, I didn't think that, you know, I'm like, both of us are not going to make it through your teenage years, which is also how my mom and I were. But she was just kind of like listening to me. And I, and I said, I just don't want you to look at the baby any differently. And she kind of like snaps her head back and she goes, mom, I would never do that. And I was like, wow, okay, we're doing okay. You know, like we're for everything else that you're driving your father and I crazy over. Like this is you, we may be raising you okay. Because she was so offended like that, that I would even suggest something like that. And as far as, as far as the other boys, we kind of told them incrementally. My second son, who's a couple of years behind Julia, probably took it the hardest. We, we were the closest at the time and, he was also super, super close with Joshua and he, he has a child of his own now and he was really thrown as all the boys were just really thrown by the attack. They didn't know. And then, but he's very gentle. And then my, my next son is, is the warrior. He's the one going into the Marine Corps. He's the one who's more outgoing, the sporty guy. And then, you know, his older brother is, is, you know, the, the quiet chest nerd. They're very, very different people. And, and uh, so we have the my, the one son like, okay, who do I have to kill? And the other son just like crying because of what I went through, you know. And and then our youngest, well, what we call our knee baby, what's in the south is the knee baby, the second youngest. When I when I told him, we didn't want to tell him so young, but the third in line, once he found out, he's the, the big mouth of the group, and he found out kind of accidentally. And so once he found out, we're like, all right, well now everyone's now everyone's gonna hear now 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 everyone's got to know and. Sitting down, I think Noah was 11 when we told him. It was too young for, I didn't want him to know that young, but well, this is, you know, this is where we are. He's, he's got to know. And I remember sitting him down and just saying, before we tell you this, what I want you to take from this is how good God is and how beautiful he can make even the ugliest of situations and he's kind of like giving me the side eye and he's like, what are you going to tell me? <laughs> and, uh, and he only had a vague, I think his, he was 11 and he only kind of had a vague idea. And he was just like, okay, like, can I leave this awkward conversation? Um, but basically the kids handled it so, so well. The only difference in the way they see Josh and the way they see their other siblings is they're a little more protective of him. You know, I, I keep them offline so they're not seeing some of the nasty comments because occasionally they'll they'll go on and they'll see something and they'll say something inappropriate, you know, like smash your face and if you say that to my mom again, you know, my like, guys, you're not you're not helping our love louder image. But they just uh, they get very, very defensive. And a couple, I don't know, a year or two ago, someone in one of my son's classes said, well, at least my brother wasn't conceived in rape. And I, I thought one of the boys was going to like lose his mind. And it's just, they're very, very protective. Even if Josh is bugging them, you know, <laughs> even if he's annoying them and he's getting into their stuff, they're super protective of him. And uh, it really is, is something that has bonded our family to an incredible degree. And, and also I, I think you know, we never recover really financially. Uh, I was never able to go back to work full time the way I was. The seizures and the ridiculous amount of surgeries and everything just changed. And we never really, we never really recovered it. Uh, you know, we were comfortable before this. And then ever since then, we've just kind of, we were not. Um, <laughs> but the kids have been able to see that throughout all this time and all of this stress, like on paper, like we we shouldn't have made it some months or some years or whatever, but we, we always have, you know, we have people all over the world who, who have followed us, who've been watching us and who reached out to help. You know, my last surgery was paid for by people who follow our page. People will, who we don't know would like send us random boxes of food or pay our rent or to, you know, it's just God, God showing up in his people. And I'm really glad my kids got to see that. Because you, you don't see that when everything is comfortable. You don't see that when everything is, you know, when, you, when you're when you not going through a time of strife. And so they were really able to see God work in, in ways that they that they wouldn't otherwise. And so they, they know him to be real and they know him to be a God who is personal. So I'm not, 
I'm not sorry about that. I, I think that's been a really amazing thing for all of us, I think. Yeah. Yeah. What have been your favorite episodes of The Savvy Sauce? What applications have led to life change or transformation for you? Episodes with Drew Hunter and Kim Weir remind us that we can never have too many friends and we desire to go deeper in our friendship with you. We want to hear your stories. So I want to invite you to continue the conversation with us either through social media. We can be found on Instagram and Facebook at The Savvy Sauce or through emailing info at thesavvysauce.com. Or you could leave a comment on our articles at thesavvysauce.com. Whichever way you choose, we can't wait to hear from you and learn from your journey. Sometimes when people have their world turned upside down in the way that you did, their eternal perspective changes. And I know that sometimes outsiders have asked you if your son Joshua would be a constant reminder to you. But I love how your unexpected answer flips that paradigm and it's so full of grace. So will you share how you respond to that question? I tell them he is absolutely a reminder to me. I say that Joshua is a reminder of women rising above their circumstances. And Joshua is a reminder of love triumphing over hate and and a reminder that God is still on the throne, and and that's what we see every day when we when we look at Him. And uh, and I usually, when people throw that at me in a snarky way, I usually thank them. I'm like, thank you so much for you know for bringing that up and reminding me of all these beautiful things that I have in my son. Because it, when people say that, you know, how could you possibly have this, you know, this rapist child, and you know, live with that reminder? And I'm like, how do you think that you don't live with a reminder of the rape without a child? Like find any, any rape survivor anywhere and be like, Hey, do you remember that rape that you, you know, like, Oh, that's right. I was raped. Like, there's no way, no way that that is somehow blocked from your memory. And yet women are told all the time that you have to have an abortion, you know, otherwise you will never forget, you know, the implication being that somehow you'll forget, like, no, you don't, you don't get that. I wish there was a way. I would remove a limb if I thought that I could forget that just block that part out of my mind, but that doesn't happen that way, you know? So let's, let's not put the blame of what some man purposed in his heart to do evil. Let's not put that on a child who didn't even exist at the time of this, you know, this crime. And I, and I think that somehow sometimes we do that because that just, that makes more sense, especially if, the man is not around. He's not there. You know, there's, there's nowhere to put that anger and that, that hate or all of that, all of that you don't know what to do with. And so you think, well, there's this baby he left. And maybe if I get rid of that and all of these feelings and all of this pain will just go with it. And of course that's a tremendous lie. And, um, and then you're left more devastated and more traumatized. And we talk to those women all the time and it's just, so horrible how they've been lied to and left more broken and more in pain. And it's just, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. And I think that leads me to be curious. Is there anything else that the two of you want to make sure that everyone hears or learns today? Yes, actually, I, if anyone is listening who has had an abortion after rape, I would I would want them to know that there is that there is forgiveness, that there is no condemnation, there is no shame coming from us, there is no condemnation in Jesus, that there is forgiveness and restoration that can be found. I would want them to know that you did the very best that you could to survive at a time of high crisis and trauma and no one is no one is hating you for that. We all do what we can just to survive that something evil happened to you that should never have happened and to know that forgiveness is there and that you have to forgive yourself. Yeah. I just realized early on when we started sharing this, when JJ started sharing this, we, I discovered that uh, our situation wasn't as unique as we thought it was. Mm. We weren't as alone as we felt. Right. And that was a big part of what was keeping us from being able to heal was keeping this to ourselves and thinking that we were not, that there was nobody who could help us out there. So the biggest thing that I would want people to know is that you're not alone 
and that there are people, not just us, but there are people who care and want to help. One of the things that our daughter brought up once was her friends would tell her, we don't all have the resources that you guys had, which is funny because we didn't have the anything <laughs> anybody thinks we had either. But she says, what if people don't have support? What if a woman just physically cannot raise a child that she was not intent on bringing into the world? And I told her that if she feels that alone, that that's, that's our bad. That's our failure. That we as a society have failed that as, woman if she thinks that she has no hope. As pro-lifers, as Christians, that's that's our failure. We are supposed to be the ones to step into that mm-hmm. into that place and and hold her arms up, hold her together, and be there to walk alongside her when she feels that she has no other option. That's on us, and that's what we're trying to do. And there are so many places and people who will do that. And will you share then a little bit about Love Louder and any other place that people could find encouragement from you after this conversation? Sure. So um, we can be found and we we answer every message. Jeff and Jennifer Christie, Pro-Life for Every Life on Facebook. Um, we can be messaged through there. And Love Louder, we have a 24-hour hotline. That's 833, the number 4, Louder, L-O-U-D-E-R. And that is any woman who has been sexually assaulted at any time, you know, even if it was decades ago and you need you need to talk. If you were just sexually assaulted and you need help, you need to find a safe place, you need to talk to someone while you go through a rape kit, any of that, you know, twenty four hours a day, three hundred and sixty five days a year where we've if you've had an abortion after Yes, and if you've if you if you're pregnant, if you're not pregnant, if you've had an abortion, if you, whatever, we're we're here, we love you, we can help. So we have we have that, and we are connected with um, Abby Johnson's Pro Love Ministries, which is a huge umbrella that covers a lot of ministries. It's adoption services and, and abortion healing and counseling and just a, a variety of needs that are met. Loveline, I don't have that number offhand, but it might be on our website, which is lovelouder.com. Loveline is another wonderful, wonderful resource that's part of Pro Love Ministries that that's helped women get into housing and helped women go back to school. And, you know, and we do baby registries. Loveline does baby registries. Um, We can help you with food if your pantries are empty. You know, I mean, there's just, there's no reason to do this alone. You know, we're, we were not designed to, to be an Island We're we're, we're a community, we're a family and you are not in this on your own. We're pro-life for the whole life. And, um, we, we mean that. There's nothing but love and support, and we want to be here for you in the way that we needed people here for us. And I will talk to women. Um, I will spend hours on the phone listening to people. Jeff will talk to um, husbands or boyfriends or uh, fathers or, you know, support people who are who are struggling in this way, who can understand in ways that no one else really can. And God has put us in this horrifically, beautifully painful situation to be able to fill in that gap that the pro-life movement didn't have. And um, we're honored and humbled and blessed to be able to do it. And everyone that we talk to is is so precious and valuable. We're glad to be here. Oh, goodness. I'm just so grateful for both of you and all of those things that you've made available to everyone. So we will link to all of that in our show notes. And hopefully that is a very practical place where people can turn for some help and You both know we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous (laughs) with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for both of you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? This is going to sound so cheesy, but I would say Love Louder because we, we named our organization that because it became the tagline with our ministry when people started saying, well, what are you going to tell your kid as he gets older? And I said, we're going to tell him that there were all these voices shouting at us saying that you should not be here and you do not deserve to be here. And those voices were loud, but we loved you louder. And as we started to work with people and as our story got a little bit more um, well-known, it sort of morphed into a mission statement for how we respond to people who who attack us, how we respond to to hateful comments and how we respond to to people who are who are pro-choice and challenge us, you know, um, hate is loud and, and love is louder. That makes so much more of an impact on people than 
you know, than winning an argument or than a mic drop moment or, you know, when people come challenging us and, you know, well, what about this? And well, you don't understand that. And we just say, you know, we, we love you and you're, you're cared for and you're seen. And I'm sorry that you're so angry, um, but know that you're loved. They're just kind of, they don't know what to do with that. And they'll just, well, you know, your hair is stupid and they'll leave. And and I got that one. So like, well, your hair is stupid. I'm like, okay. Like they just didn't know what to do with what, you know, with what, what I understand, you know, do you under, <laughs> someone say, do you understand I'm disagreeing with you? I said, yeah, I get that. I get that. But I think you need to know that you matter and you're cared for and you're loved and, that would be what I would say that as believers and as people who, who value life that in our interactions and in our ministries, that at the forefront, we realize that we're, we're representing Christ and that above all that we need to love louder than, than the hate that's out there, than the vitriol, than the lies and all of that, because that is the most, that's the most powerful force on earth. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. And Jeff, is there anything you would like to add? I think she summed it up pretty well. Uh, that's cheating. That's so <laughs> cheating. <laughs> well, I'm so grateful to both of you for being my guest today. And we started this time before we recorded in prayer. And in conclusion, would you allow me to pray for the two of you now? Absolutely. Lord, I am so humbled, so in awe of you through the power of the shed blood of Jesus and the power of the testimony that Jeff and Jennifer have been willing to share and for Joshua's life and all of their other children's lives. Every single one is a miracle from you. And we thank you and we praise you for that. I thank you for this message to love louder. I thank you for their ministry. Would you bless them? Would you continue pouring out your strength and love and healing on them? And would you inspire all of us to love louder. May we all love louder because you loved us first and you never stop loving us, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. Thank you. One more thing before you go. Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news and I want to share the best news with you, but it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so He cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from Him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death, and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a Savior. But God loved us so much, He made a way for His only Son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with Him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished, if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps. 
such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.